As we come to this fascinating chapter in the life of Elijah, uh, it's really important for us to see it in the context of what we have been hearing and reading over the last two weeks uh, and what we heard from Mike and from Andrew. Uh, in the previous chapters we read about Elijah uh, prophesying that there would be a drought and uh, God heard his prayer and his prophecy and there was a drought and then we heard about his time with the widow at Zarephath and uh, the raising of her son from death to life and then last week uh, Andrew shared with us the whole confrontation prophetic confrontation that uh, we read about in chapter 18 with the prophets of Baal and how uh, Elijah stood up and uh, confronted the dark forces, the evil forces that were uh, around at that time in Israel. And um, he's literally God's voice to the people at that time. And in verse 36 of chapter 18 we see him uh, standing up for the name and the honor of the God of Israel. In verse 36 it says, At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel. I am your servant and I have done all thing, these things at your word. God is faithful and Elijah was totally vindicated. The prophets of Baal were destroyed. And we saw at the end of the chapter that Elijah was literally and metaphorically on the mountaintop. He was experiencing perhaps what we might call a spiritual high. But I believe also as we come to this passage today, we need to see it in the context of the series that we're looking at uh, as to being in the 21st century salt and light as to uh, a challenge to each one of us here to be light and to be salt in a dark and an unsavory world and that's a massive challenge to us and I believe as we look at this chapter we will see some indication of what uh, awaits us as we seek to stand up and uh, represent our God in our generation. And so we come to chapter 19. And the challenge, the, um, let me just get my pointer out. title that uh, we have on our bit of paper uh, for tonight is Elijah confronts himself and you know as we were uh, many of you were in church this morning and uh, also last Sunday morning David Moffat shared from Psalm 23 and this morning when Andrew shared about our shepherd God 
And as I was reading through chapter 19, I was so conscious of God's presence right throughout this chapter. Wherever Elijah goes, God is there. And we sang earlier, forever God is faithful. And so perhaps we should (coughs) have called this, our shepherd God causes Elijah to confront himself. And so Elijah indeed confronts himself in this chapter, but as it were, he is led to that place by a faithful God who is shepherding him from beginning to end. And so we come to this chapter and uh, we read at the beginning of the chapter that um, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Ahab is clearly under the control of his evil wife, Jezebel. And he informs her of what Elijah had done and Jezebel issues this message to Elijah. And she says, May the gods Do to me and even more if I do not make your life as one of my prophets by this time tomorrow. It's a direct threat on his life. And we're told that Elijah is afraid and runs for his life in verse 3. There's some discussion I understand about the word that is translated in our Bibles as afraid. Some translators and some versions eh, translate the word as Elijah saw and ran for his life. But, you know, as I was reading this through, there's a sense where both these thoughts, these concepts are relevant because he was afraid, there's no question about it and each one of us here I'm sure would also have been afraid but I think there's also a sense in which Elijah saw what the threat really was and that is why I read uh, the passage that uh, Kata read for us in Ephesians because Jezebel the woman was not really the threat. And as we meet similar trials in our lives as Christians, it's not the human person who is the threat. As we read in Ephesians, our struggle is not against um, flesh and blood. It's against rulers, powers, the world's force of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness. And so we have Elijah facing that sort of challenge. And uh, as I read through chapter 9, I I was reminded of a similar type of experience that Janice and I faced when we were in Africa and Burundi. And I'm sure that many of you here this evening 
who have been long on the road seeking to be salt and light will be able to relate to what Elijah is facing here. Because as we experience triumphs and victories in our Christian lives, we are so often attacked by the enemy. And uh, there are young Christians here tonight. I just want to emphasize that to you too. It's not something that we need to be uh, afraid of in one sense. But it's something that we need to be aware of. That as we seek to represent our God in an evil and dark generation, we will encounter the enemy. And the enemy uh, is not the person who is being used as the instrument. There are spiritual forces behind that. And so Elijah distances himself from the point of conflict. And I want to suggest to you as we look through the story of Elijah tonight, we will see uh, indications of what is helpful in situations of attack. And very often, if we are under attack from the enemy, it's a good thing to remove ourselves from the proximity of that attack. There are a number of reasons for that. In the situation that Elijah finds himself here, there is a very practical reason for doing that. Because he was under threat of physical attack. And to be honest, in the situation that Janice and I found ourselves in, in Burundi, without going into any details, it was equally a good idea for us to remove ourselves from the country because there was a physical threat. But there's also the sense in which by removing yourself from an attack like that, you can see it from a different perspective. And that is often in our spiritual lives a very helpful thing to do. If we are embroiled in an attack situation, it is often very difficult to see the situation clearly. And it is a good idea to distance ourselves in order to get a clearer perspective on what the enemy is doing and as we will see as we go through the chapter on what the Good Shepherd has got to say about it. So that's the first point we see in this chapter. Then we read in chapter, uh, in verse 3, that he not only runs away for his life, gets to Beersheba, and he leaves his servant there. He gets himself into a place where he's on his own with God. He's not going to be listening to advice from other sources than from the Lord himself. I remember, to go back to our situation, we were getting all sorts of advice from very many well-meaning people while we were still in Burundi. 
And many of them were saying, you need to stay here. But we needed to get away from that clamor and that sort of advice. And we need to be on our own with the Lord himself. To hear what he was saying. And he was saying very clearly, I want you out of this place. And so Elijah says to his servant, you stay here in Beersheba and I am going on into the wilderness. And uh, when he gets there, he's in a wilderness situation and he is incredibly depressed and down. He's just been on the mountain top. He's just experienced the amazing power of the Lord to destroy the works of the enemy. And here he is in the wilderness and he's honest with the Lord. What does he say? It's enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. We could say he is depressed. But it's probably better to say that he was oppressed. The, the, the power and the weight and the darkness of the enemy was weighing heavily upon him. And he wasn't in a place to hear anything. Not from his messenger, not from his servant, not from anyone else. And at this point, not even from the Lord himself. And so what does he do? He needs to do something very practical. He's exhausted. He's exhausted emotionally. He's exhausted spiritually. And you know there's a beautiful verse in James's letter which is a great comfort to me and I'm sure to all of you who read it. Where James says Elijah was a human being just like us. You know Elijah was not different to any one of us here. And at this point in his experience and in his life, he is exhausted. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. And what does he need? He needs sleep. And he needs food. And God, the shepherd, is there in the wilderness our faithful God. He's there. And Elijah sleeps. And he's woken by an angel. And he's fed. And when he's fed. He, he lies down and sleeps again. And he's woken by an angel. And he's fed again. He's given time. To recover physically. And that is right. And we need to understand that we are human beings just like Elijah. Janice and I came back from Burundi. We were traumatized. 
we were just like Elijah was at this point. And a very dear couple down in London said to us, we want you to go into London and we want you to find somewhere that you can go f- somewhere on the continent for a holiday for a week and we're going to pay for it. And we went and we looked at various places, uh, Greek islands and so on. And I remember saying to Janice, I'm not in a place that I could go there. I couldn't cope with that. And eventually we found uh, a week in a, in a village in Austria, in the Alps. And I said, I, I can cope with that. Because I, 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 I was a Ger- I'm a Germanist and I could speak German. And I felt I was at home in a village in Austria. I could handle that. And we went there. And that was just such a place of rest and recovery for us at that point. And that is just exactly the situation here for Elijah. God has taken him out into the wilderness and he's allowed him to relax, to rest, to sleep and to be fed. And then... He goes for a long walk. (laughs) I'm not suggesting, you'll notice I put this into brackets. I'm not suggesting at this point you go for a 200 mile walk, which is what Elijah went for. Uh, It's just really a sort of add-on to the previous point. You know, maybe a walk along the West Sands or something might do you good. But uh, he goes for a walk. And that's a time for reflection. A time for thinking over. A time uh, just to begin to unravel the turmoil that's in our head. Janice and I actually went for some long walks in this village in Austria. I think Janice went for the longest walk she's ever been on uh, at one point. But we were able to just unwind and relax. And that was necessary. And then he gets to the mountain of God. And let's just look at this. Uh, It says, after 40 days, he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. He came to a place where he could commune with the shepherd. He'd not been at that place before. His whole being was not in a place where he could meet with God. But God had fed him, God had cared for him, and God had brought him to this place. And what does God say when he gets there? Well, God says to him an interesting question, really a kind of existential question. Elijah, what are you doing here? You don't get questions much simpler than that. What are you doing here? And Elijah's got an answer. And uh, it's almost like an answer which uh, epitomizes all that he's been going through. It's a sort of crystallization of everything that Elijah has experienced. And so what does he say to God? He says, 
I've been very zealous for you, Lord. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. Poor old me. What a state I'm in. And so he's honest again with God. But God has asked him a question. What are you doing here? He doesn't really answer that question, does he? But he does tell God just exactly what he feels like. And God says to him, Go and stand on the mountain, and I will pass by. And so there's this wonderful experience of God. He stands there, and first of all, there is a great and mighty wind. And God's not in the wind. Now God could have been in the wind. The, the, the ruach of God. God could have been in the wind. What does Jesus say to Nicodemus in John 3? The wind blows where it will. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. God could have been in the wind. But he wasn't. Then there's an earthquake. God could have been in the earthquake. He'd been in earthquakes before. Deborah in her song of triumph in Judges chapter 5. Says the mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. This mountain Sinai at the presence of the Lord the God of Israel. God could have been in the earthquake, but he wasn't. Then comes the fire. Well, God could have been in the fire. He was in the fire in the previous chapter. When he came down, the fire of God came down onto the altar and burned the bullock and all the wood and all the water was burned up. God could have been in the fire. But he wasn't in the fire. He was in the fire when Moses met the burning bush in the wilderness. But here for Elijah, God is not in the fire. Then there's a still, small voice. That's the, uh, the, the translation that comes to my head because it's from the authorised but here in the, in the New International, we're told, we're told there's a whisper. And God is in the whisper. He's in the whisper for Elijah. We don't know what the whisper was. We're not told what God said to Elijah in the whisper. Because it was very intimate. It was just for Elijah. And it was exactly what Elijah needed to hear. It came directly from the shepherd. The good shepherd. The good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows them by name. And he knew 
exactly what Elijah needed to hear. And he spoke into Elijah's life. And he'll do exactly the same for each one of us here. When we face trials like this, he'll come and he'll speak to us in a whisper. He spoke to us in a whisper when we were in this village in Austria. In an amazing way that could only have been God, he spoke to us. We were uh, walking through a village and we needed to get uh, a biscuit or some fruit. We went into this little mini market, little supermarket, uh, very small in this village. And there was a couple of aisles and I turned to go into this aisle to where the biscuits were. And right in front of me was this picture. And it could only have been God. When I was a child, I was brought up eh, not far from here in Dundee. But my parents had a house in a little village in the northeast of Scotland. And as I walked down this aisle of this shop, right in front of me was a big poster. And there was this village. And right in the middle of the picture was my father's house. And the Lord just whispered his, his presence to me in that place and in that village. And it was just exactly what I needed to hear. And so Elijah heard in this whisper exactly what he needed to hear. And, uh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> And what does he say then? He tells Elijah to come out. And Elijah comes out and God says to him the very same question again. Elijah, what are you doing here? And what does Elijah do? Elijah repeats exactly what he'd said before. But there's something going on inside Elijah. And Elijah has been changed. He's been transformed by the presence and the whisper of the shepherd God. And God knows that. And God says, go. I want you to go back the way you've come. When you've arrived there, I've got something else for you to do. You've come this journey. I've brought you this way. I've brought you to have an encounter with me. And now I want you to go back. I want you to anoint Hazael. I want you to anoint Jehu. And I want you to anoint Elisha as prophet. He's given him a task to do. And Elijah goes on the strength of this meeting, this uh, whisper from the Lord himself. He goes back, back into service for the Lord.
And so there's a lesson for each one of us there. We're going to face situations like this. Those of you who are much younger than I am, maybe have not yet faced situation of confrontation with the enemy. And as we read this chapter, we see little guidelines as to how we need to cope with that. And Elijah, as James said, a human being just like us, goes through this to a place where he can follow the Lord in ministry and triumph again. And let us learn from that. And there's just one other thing that really came to me this morning that I believe we can get from this passage. <coughs> Andrew uh, was talking about the presence of the shepherd God, but he's talking also about good shepherds. And in a sense, each one of us here are called to be shepherds. We're sheep, but we're also shepherds. And there's a sense in which we can take the role of the shepherd God here. We are representing him. We are lights in this world. And so as we meet our brothers and sisters facing trials and tribulations, I believe the Lord calls us by the power of his spirit to be the shepherd and to encourage and to seek to know what our brother or what our sister needs in times of trial. We're going to face trial. I believe increasingly we're going to face the enemy. And as Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, we need to put on the full armor of God. And we need to learn to stand. And we need to recognize where the attack is coming from. But we need to encourage, support, and uphold one another. Let us pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight for what we can learn from the life of this great prophet Elijah. Thank you for the words of James that reminds us that he is human just as we are. And Lord, as we face trials and tribulation, we thank you, Lord God, the faithful one, that there is a way through. That we need to be honest with you. We need to listen for the whisper of the shepherd. So we give you thanks. We thank you for our time together. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus name.